Today's episode of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NHL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. everybody, Scott Burnside, and as always, I can't touch him, but I can feel him, Pierre Lebrun in Toronto, and this is Two Man Advantage, the podcast. Pierre, good to hear from you, and wait, just before you even start, I, I, I made a huge error last week in our first, our bounce back podcast, I failed to mention the presence of Brass Bonanza as part of our theme song and the lead into the podcast. And I just have to ask you, when you wrote that piece of music back in Hearst, Ontario, when you were a teenage boy, I bet you never imagined it would be the big hit that it became. <laughs> I think whenever I run into like Ray Ferraro, who I'm colleagues <laughs> with at TSN, he looks at me and wonders why I love Brass Bonanza so much. Of course, he lived it as a former Hartford Whaler. And I, I haven't run into a lot of former Hartford Whaler players who miss Brass Bonanza. I just, <laughs> I just love it. You know, I, uh, I just, I, I, I'm an Adams Division boy. When I grew up, uh, grew up a big Montreal fan, as you know. And uh, those were the days. I wish you, you could still care that way. You know, it's, uh, it, it just, it, I love the game as much as ever, but. It's it's amazing once you start in this business how that part of it the fan part uh, goes away. Anyway, yeah, I did no. grow up. I did I did grow up a Habs fan, and uh, I love the games in Hartford. And whenever the Whalers scored, here it came, here comes the brass bonanza, baby. <laughs> well, and how long have you had it as your ringtone? Like it's uh, that's part. When I think of you, uh, I think of many things, but uh, you know, some brass bonanza figures in there because it's been it's it's your ringtone it has been for a long time. I had it for a long time. I actually replaced it uh, with the Tragically Hip last year. Ah, nice. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, which hip? But, Do you uh, mind me asking? No, I want you to hear it the next time you're around me. My phone rings, and I want to see if you can pick it out within eight seconds. Dude, I, I, I live in Atlanta, but I, I'm going to be able to pick up some Tragically Hip. All right, so, all right. It's, anyway. it's little little bones. It's the start to little bones. Oh, nice. Good call there. All right. So we we are a week into the NHL season, and I know this is the time for vast overreaction. It's a time for snap judgment and knee-jerk responses to wins and losses. So you and I today... And this is not really in our wheelhouse, but you and I today are going to bring some perspective. We're going to be like the calm. We are going to smooth the waters and we're going to tell people whether they should be really worried, whether they should be really excited or where they should you know, fall in the, in the, in the spectrums. And because I am the magnanimous sort that I am, I'm going to let you start. Do you want to start glass half full with, say, the Carolina Hurricanes at 4-0 or the surprising Edmonton Oilers? Or do you want to start at the bottom? Uh, with a team like, 
Uh, and dare I say it, a team that I know someone picked to win the Stanley Cup, who are, happened to be <laughs> 0-4, the San Jose Sharks. You tell me, you want to start at uh, glass half full, glass half empty? Well, I think we should start with the Sharks because they had the news of the day uh, yes. the, yesterday with the, the repatriation of Patrick Marlowe, which is just an amazing story and a feel-good story. I'm happy for Patrick Marlowe. I mean, I talked to him a lot uh, early in the summer and late June and early July, and obviously his heart was set on signing in San Jose after the Leafs uh, traded him away so that he could be bought out by the Carolina Hurricanes. And um, it didn't happen right away, and I think that was probably very hard on Patrick Marlowe. Um, and so, and listen, we should get into why we think things have worked out the way they did on that front. You know, when the Marlowe camp led by Pat Brisson reached out to Doug Wilson in San Jose, I think Doug Wilson was tremendously respectful and, and but also clear that he just didn't see at that point a, a spot uh, on the left side for Patrick Marlowe. They, um, you know, and even up front in general, they wanted to go with some younger guys and not block them. And I don't know that that's changed. What's changed is that they've got a million injuries and they're off to a terrible start. And so the timing uh, is more than perfect to bring back uh, Sharks legend. And I, my understanding is at the time, even when Doug Wilson said no, there was sort of a soft promise that, hey, if you're still out there, uh, you know, in the fall and we need help, then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll circle back and, and maybe you'll be you know, maybe someone we could look at. So there was that sort of soft promise. And obviously Doug Wilson delivered on that uh, yesterday. And, you know, hopefully his presence, I mean, listen, Patrick Marlowe, the age of 40, isn't going to save the San Jose Sharks, but certainly his presence and his, uh, I think his his demeanor will can only help, you know, help a young captain in Logan Couture. Um, you know, that's a Sharks team that has lost a lot of leadership and Joe Pavelski leaving. So I think from that perspective, it's good. But I will say, as disappointing as the Sharks' start has been, and it's been, quite frankly, brutal. They got completely outclassed by Vegas Golden Knights in the opening two games. I saw some signs of life uh, on Tuesday night. They played a pretty good road game in Nashville. And frankly, lost because Martin Jones uh, wasn't very good, again. And uh, Becca Rene was very good in the Nashville net. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm going to give you, I watched that game. And uh, so the Sharks are 0-4. They're a league worst, dismal minus 12. And, and I'm with you. You know, that was a game, I'm with you. The Sharks looked good. They And certainly in the, in the second period, really pressured Nashville, looked like they were in a position to, you know, maybe take over the game, maybe play for, with a lead for a change, which I don't think they have done yet in this season. Um, and, and Martin Jones does let you know a couple a couple of shots get by Martin Jones in, in the game is is out of hand. But that's a Sharks team that, man, they're a turnover machine, um, and it's key guys, right? Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, both guilty uh, in that loss to Nashville of of just coughing the puck up. So it's a team that has a lot of things going on right now. So it, just in terms of perspective, though, yeah, 0-4, not great. But you know what? I mean, you know, the, the Pacific is still going to be there right it's right vegas is really good although they're coming off a loss to a really good boston team we'll get to them at some point in this podcast but um you know it's not like all of a sudden you know you know a weekend they're buried right so you know on a scale of one to ten what's your if you're a sharks fan what's your level of concern and and i know already people are saying well 
you know, is Pete DeBoer's job safe? Like to me, it's all premature for a team like that to. Yeah, that's be ridiculous. Talking. That's yeah, ridiculous. Okay. I mean, Pete DeBoer's extension just kicked in. By the way, he signed it a year ago. Uh, that's ridiculous. This isn't coaching. Um, there should be concern. I mean, as you mentioned, uh, the, the big boys in the back end haven't looked very good. Listen, Martin Jones, who I thought rebounded in the playoffs, right? I mean, he's one of the reasons they came back to beat Vegas in the opening round. But uh, overall, had a bad year last year, and, and now he's off to another bad start. You know, like, uh, he needs to make some saves here for this thing to turn around. But this is what I'm going to say. If anyone in the league is gonna is gonna come back from an 0-4 start, there's about four or five teams that I would that I would pinpoint. You know, Tampa would be one, Boston, uh, Pittsburgh. You know, teams that have been there, done that in the last decade or so. This is a Sharks team that's missed the playoffs once in 15 years. Like, you know, I, I don't mind the rope a dope thing early on here with them because I think they'll find their stabilizing uh, level at some point here, but. Uh, they don't look at all like the team that they can be. There's no question about that. And they're probably a little more top-heavy than they've been with some of their uh, off-season departures, right? So uh, yeah. they, 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 they definitely need, um, you know, everyone's going to need to find their role on that team and and um, and, uh, and wake up here. But I do think they have that ability. I, I have a feeling we'll touch on them in a week and feel a bit better about them. All right. Now you provide, as always, it's it's always so nice to work with a true pro because you provide the natural segue to another team that's not off to a a roaring start and a team that we're going to be watching so closely this year, given uh, what happened to the Tampa Bay Lightning last year. 62 wins, of course. Uh, They won't be reminded of that very often, will they, this year? 62 wins (laughs) in about eight days of playoff action before Columbus swept them out. But really interesting uh, start for the the Lightning as you and I are chatting here. They're one one and one, uh, you know. Well, whatever. Um, they, but I thought it was interesting, and I know you you your ears perked up as well. Comments from Captain Steven Stamkos uh, after uh, their lat the the game before we taped this. So uh, very interesting, very pointed comments from Steven Stamkos, and it wasn't just one. There were a number of comments about. What appears to be, uh, according to him, a lack of structure for the Lightning, their freewheeling nature, their refusal to um, sort of dig down and play the right way, uh, and what caught my mind or my eye rather is he said to, that at some point, unless they change their ways, unless they change their focus, it's going to be a quote really, really, really long season. End quote. I just I, that's an interesting comment. Because depending on your perspective and how you read into it, I mean, is that a shot at that that group in the dressing room, or is it a sideways shot at, at head coach John Cooper? And we talked about this in the first podcast. I mean, there, there is no one more under the gun in my mind than John Cooper because it, 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 you know, it's going to be such a long season because it doesn't matter what they do over the course of eighty-two games. It all it's all about what happens whether this team can can finally get off the mat and get over the hump given their immense talent. And I, I wonder what you made of Steven Stamkos' comments and what you take from them. Well first of all, let's get to the comment. Um because I think it's important to read it again. So I'm reading off the Kaylee Chelios uh, tweet from his scrum and this is on Sunday when I was uh busy having my soul crushed by the Green Bay Packers <laughs> as a Dallas Cowboys fan. But <laughs> So I didn't catch on to this until the next day. But Stamco says, quote, um, we continue to be the freewheeling team that thinks we can just come into games and win because we're skilled, end quote. 
Wow. Yeah. I mean that 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 is uh, that is a serious statement from the leader of that team. And you're right. I mean, who's it pointed at? It's hard not to think some of it isn't at the coaching staff, but I also think at his own team and including himself. I he would never not include himself in that. But you know, I don't know if you remember Joe Smith interviewed Anton Strallman in the offseason after Anton Strallman left the Lightning. And one of the things Strallman said is that is that they basically were a bad defensive team last year and, and that they were trying to outscore their, their problems in the second half. And, of course, we know what happened in the first round against Columbus. So, you know, I think what I see here is a leader that cares, that that wants to, you know, nip this in the bud before it becomes a season-long issue defensively. And it's funny because we just talked about the Sharks' defensive issues and, you know, clearly Stamkos feels that's something that needs to be addressed in Tampa. And interestingly, Tampa's in Toronto here where I live on Thursday and the Leafs have already had this narrative right uh, especially after the wild 6-5 loss to uh, to Montreal last week and now I thought they were a lot better against the cup champions from St. Louis Monday night but that's going to be a recurring theme with the Leafs is that the Leafs know they can outscore almost anyone in the league every night but can they play the kind of hockey balanced hockey that will actually finally win them a playoff round for the first time in 15 years so some interesting themes from Tampa Toronto San Jose, really good hockey teams that defensively are off to rocky starts. Yes. I mean, it is It is fascinating. I want to go back to, uh, to a, uh, a conversation you had with Doug Armstrong, the GM of the Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues after their victory in Toronto earlier this week. And uh, I just, it, may, it makes me think of... Uh, of how teams are built and and you touched on this and I thought it was interesting how Doug explained you know his philosophy in building the team and there you know he's got lots of issues coming ahead uh, most notably what's going to happen with captain Alex Petrangelo who can become an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year and he addressed that as as did you do you think a team like Toronto which is built completely differently than St. Louis Blues, right? Or the Boston right. Bruins. I think both those teams are built very similarly in terms of their salary structure, in terms of you know, their key players. They're not top-heavy. Both those teams are very balanced in how they are built on the ice and, and uh, salary cap-wise. Do you think mm-hmm. you can win a Stanley Cup if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you've paid your key players in the manner that Lisa play, paid Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, um, William Nylander, um, can you win like that? I, because it's a trend league, but it's only a trend until someone else sends another trend, right? So if the Leafs win the Stanley Cup or if they go to a final, uh, you know, maybe the, maybe you say, well, it doesn't matter. You, as long as you've got good, cheap role players, you can do it. But what's your what's your take on that? And especially talking to Doug Armstrong, as you did, about the structure of, of how that championship team was built in St. Louis. Yeah, it was interesting, and I and I thank Doug again for taking the time yesterday here in Toronto to sit down with me, and um, you know because I think he gives a very thoughtful interview, and and we did sort of have these philosophical questions and answers back and forth yesterday, and and listen, I, I tried to ask him about Petrangelo, but he didn't want to go there specifically uh, <laughs> uh, for obvious reasons, and by the way, I, I'm 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 led to understand that I I believe that Doug Armstrong met with Newport Sports about Alex Petrangelo, by the way, while the Blues were in Toronto, so you know that's going to be an interesting process to uh, um you know to keep an eye on, but. Uh, you know, I, I think 
he gave an interesting answer after not wanting to answer anything specifically about, um, you know, about Petrangelo, which is his philosophy on team building. Um, and, you know, what I took from it, Scotty, is this, you know, our organization, this is a quote, our organization has not been built on the back of one or two guys, but the collective whole. Uh, he goes on to say that, uh, you know, unless you're getting a McDavid or Crosby, Ovechkin or Matthews, it's difficult to find those guys. You know, then he goes on to say, you can create in your own mind an $11 million player or a $12 million player, but that might not be it. Some of it is marketing. Some of it is real. <laughs> I just believe that our method of death by a thousand cuts is the way to build a team. If you don't have that type of player, i.e. a superstar player. Now, I don't, I don't think at all that I was meant to be a shot at the least, which a lot of Leaf fans, yeah. I think, did take from that comment. I think what he was actually saying, and again, this is dangerous because I'm reading in between the lines and and I'm not inside Doug Armstrong's brain, but I think what he's saying is, you know, he's going to make a pretty good offer to Alex Petrangelo if he hasn't already, but it's not going to be what Alex Petrangelo can make in the open market because the Blues believe strongly and, and, and Armstrong in, a, in, a, in another answer um you know, talk to me about how he loves the Boston Bruins model, how everyone's bought in there, right? And and that's what he believes he has in St. Louis. And when you look at the depth of both those, those teams in the cup final, we talked about the fourth line on each team, the entire cup final, right? I mean, so you don't have that when you have uh, a bunch of players making 10 million a year. So it's going to be interesting because Alex Petrangelo does deserve a healthy raise. He's a great player who had a great playoff. He's been a great captain. He's one of the top defensemen in the league. But how does that work within the dynamic of the way the Blues have set up their payroll? So it's going to be absolutely fascinating to me. You know, um, I think there's obviously a certain number that works in St. Louis, and then it's a different number, uh, you know, if he heads to market. Yeah, it, and it is interesting because, you know, the two teams that made it to the Stanley Cup final last year are, are very, hey, they play, you know, I, we talked about this a lot through the playoffs and certainly in the final, that they play a fairly similar brand, right? It's heavy, hard, lots of skill. Listen, you can't win in this game without speed and skill and youth, all those things. But man, Boston and St. Louis, they make you pay the price. Um, you know, one of my favorite series last year in the spring was that Columbus-Boston um series in the second round right two hard hard teams right really not afraid to you know to, to play in the hard areas and um and Bo- here's Boston I, I, I'm guilty of this but I, sort of Boston was sort of one of those forgotten teams right you sort of push them to the side a little bit because of the long spring and the disappointing end in game seven at home and sort of let that series get away from them and against St. Louis and with Toronto uh, you looked at Tampa, of course. Uh, I, you know, people looking at Florida with Joel Quenville. I just sort of people were like, Boston, you know, maybe. But they're three and zero. Won all three games on the road to start this season. I don't think. <laughs> I think it would be unwise to let Boston slip too far from your mind when you're thinking about teams that that have the goods to go all the way. Yeah, uh, just a great start on the road for the Boston Bruins. They looked dynamic uh, last night against uh, the Golden Knights. I watched the first two periods before I uh, fell asleep. But, um, you know, to start on the road, 3-0, and tough matchups. Um, again, the whole, you know, hangover thing hanging over you. You know, how are you going to respond after playing deep into June? Now, I will say I've talked to people over the years that have either made it to the final or won the cup, and they actually feel that November becomes a harder month on you than October for whatever reason. 
But um, just a terrific start. And Tuka Rask picking up where he left off, right? Just looking absolutely amazing in that for the Boston Bruins. And uh, so they'll be right in the thick of it. You know, Boston, Toronto, Tampa, here we go again in terms of, I think, the top three in the Atlantic. But in the meantime, you know, Buffalo off to a surprising start under Ralph Kruger, which is just amazing to see. And the Habs are uh, are playing their pesky Habs hockey, four-line hockey under Claude Julien to start off. So some some nice stories. Yeah, well, let's uh, if you, as we as we slide toward the end of uh, this week's edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, at least the first part of it. Uh, let's talk. Is there so? Let me ask you this question then: What's a bigger surprise to you? Carolina at four and Anaheim at three and or Edmonton at three and So three teams combined ten and Which is the bigger surprise of those three teams for you? Well, definitely not Carolina since I picked them to win the Metro. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be disappointed if they weren't 4-0. And they're just so deep and so fast. And, you know, I think the question for me and and, and I think everyone who analyzes the Hurricanes is because they're going to have the puck a ton. They're going to be defending incredibly well. Are they going to get enough saves? And so far, Peter Mrazek has answered the bell. James Reimer got a win against his old team. Yeah, If those guys can... And they don't have to be great. They, they just have to be, you know, if they get mid-range goaltending, you know, 15th, 16th ranked goaltending, the Hurricanes can go very, very far this season. And uh, so far they're getting that. But they're so much fun to watch. I mean, they're, they're one of the more appealing aesthetically uh, teams to watch in the NHL. So they're, they're hardly a surprise at all. No, no question that I think Edmonton's a surprise. I mean, um, you know, I think Ken Holland has preached patience there in his first year as GM there because there's a lot of work to be done. And listen, there will be a come down to earth moment. But, you know, you know, good on that group, A, to have a healthy Connor McDavid after all the angst and, you know, how he was recovering uh, in September. And, um, um, you know, how about the real deal, James Neal? With, on uh, pace. I, I just, yeah. I, did, I did the math. On pace for... So now where did I put it? 264. What's, what's 82, 82 times two? Uh, <laughs> well, so. and, and, and listen, he obviously did the work this summer to, uh, there's pride in that veteran player. You know, we did the work with Gary Roberts, I think, in the Toronto area. And and uh, listen, he's getting a great opportunity there in that role in Edmonton. And uh, and listen, that could be a trade that I think, you know, everyone's already skewering Calgary on this. But yeah, I think Milan Lucic is going to have a role there in Calgary completely different he's not going to put up big offensive numbers but uh you know I think if he stays healthy and plays a certain role I think that'll fit in well with the Flames but at the end of the day this could be quite an opening deal for Ken Holland here if James Neal you know has the kind of year that he had in Vegas uh during Vegas's expansion year yeah, you're absolutely right. It's interesting. <laughs> you know, we we've got a bunch of podcasts around the NHL now, and and I, I I feel bad for the guys who do the oil can podcast for us, Alan Mitchell, Jonathan Willis, and Daniel Nugent Bowman. I mean, those guys are so used to having to. Okay, what negative aspect of this team are we going to have to focus on today? How you know how 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 down are the fans are on the Oilers now? And and this is. Such a critical start for that team, I, I I think, in terms of, I mean, that team has been surrounded by negativity and and uh, you know the stories about does Connor McDavid want out and are they wasting him and you know all those kinds of things. 
that this, well, let me ask it as a question to you. How important is a start like this for them, given what happened last year, given the presumption that they were going to be, once again, one of the worst teams in the Western Conference? How important is this start to them? I mean, I think it is. I also think you have a very intelligent fan base there in Edmonton that knows it's hockey. So I don't think they're going to get too fooled into thinking the Oilers are going to win the Pacific Division. But I think all, I don't want to speak for Oilers fans, but I do have buddies who are Oilers fans. I think they just want to see an honest effort and, and guys playing up to their capabilities. And that's what you're seeing right now. And, you know, I think the key for Edmonton over the course of 82 games will be to make sure that on the nights when McDavid and Dreisaitl aren't there offensively because they've been, you know, they've, uh, they've been kept off the score sheet by a very good defensive team, in that you want to have that second wave. Like, where's that that scoring depth, you know? Is it is it a Riley Sheehan popping up with a big goal or a Thomas Yurko? Whatever it is, that that's going to make the difference between whether or not the Oilers can stay in the race over the course of time here because he can't just rely on the big boys. And, and and that was really, I think, part of their downfall last year, aside from, you know, shaky goaltending at times. Yeah. You mentioned briefly the the Calgary Flames, and I, it's it's way early. I got to tell you, though, and I was I was watching a bit of that uh, game against the Los Angeles Kings um, the night before we, we taped this, and even though they were at home, I, I, was, I was a bit shocked at just how lethargic the Flames have looked at times this year. It, I'm just, and I'm referring to my notes here. Uh, the Kings outshot them 19 to two in the first period. Might have been 20. Oh, sorry, 20 to three. Uh, outshot in the first period against Los Angeles at home, and, and a really nice night for Todd McClellan gets his first wing win as an LA Kings head coach. Uh, big night for Ilya Kovalchuk. Well, it's always good to throw in a former thrasher in our uh, in our podcast, but uh, <laughs> I, I got to tell you that the the start for the Flames has left me a little bit. Meh. Frankly, they look a lot like the team that just got um, you know speed bagged by the Colorado Avalanche in the first round, and and I, I'm a bit a bit surprised by that because uh, it, to me that was a Flames team that talked a lot in training camp about how they weren't going to be that team, that they were going to be a team mm-hmm. that, that, you know, sort of learned their lesson from having to, you know, come out and, and really assert themselves. I haven't seen much of it early on. And I wonder if you, you know, again, early, mildly troubled, or what's your level of concern about a Flames team that, that has has found, has had issues early on finding a gear? I mean, I'm not concerned, but I guess my expectations were a bit lower than maybe some. And I, I see the Flames being a bubble team this year, not a team competing for the division title. But I still think they get in. I just think it's going to be more of a more emblematic, I think, of who they truly are. Um, and that's fine. Um, I, you know, and it's nice to see Matthew Kachuk score his first two goals of the year in that game against L.A. Um, you know, I, I just think they're going to tighten up defensively. Um you know, and it's a big year for David Redditch too, because he has a great opportunity now, I think, with Mike Smith gone, even though Cam Talbot is there, to basically say this is my net, and I think he will, but he's obviously going to have to be better than he was against L.A. Well, I think you're being a little bit harsh on Redditch. In fact, he's been their best player, right? He's been really good, and the, but defensively, they've been soft. They When you give up 20 shots in the first period at home against a Let's be honest, not a very good Kings team or a team that most people expect to be 30th or 31st in the NHL. Uh, I mean, that's I'm not hardly on 
big save Dave Riddich, I would think. But anyway, but, I, I... but but by the way, what, one thing I'm trying to eliminate from my vernacular is saying things like "let's be honest" or "to be honest with you," because I feel like <laughs> if you, if you feel the need to say that, then does that mean the rest of the time you're not being honest? So that, so that's one of my I have a little checklist about things I say and don't say, and so one of mine for this year is to stop saying "to be honest." All right. Because I want I, pe- I want people to feel that I'm being honest all the time. Okay, so if I if I remove those kinds of uh, and there's a clause or whatever you want, if I remove those kinds of things from our conversations during the podcast and in real life, which I'm now going to work towards doing, you know that means I'm going to start asking much longer questions because I can only concentrate on several things, and I've been focusing on shorter questions for you. So I'm just telling you. I'm not going I'm going to do my best to not anger you by saying those kinds of things but it may mean longer questions. So just before we're going to it, it just I'm going to leave you with this I'm just looking at my notes here. I, I want you to tell me one player right now that you have been particularly impressed with through the first week of the NHL's regular season. I well, that. James Neal, I, I mean, yeah. I just we, we talked about it, the real deal, James Neal, for sure. I mean, the guy's been unbelievable. Um, but, you know, uh, how about Cody Glass, the rookie in, in Vegas? High expectations for him, but I, I think he's looked terrific on the big line there and um, just showing his creativity, having a chance, getting a real chance, a top six role. Uh, I don't know, sneaky early season Calder uh Calder pick. I mean, there's some obviously some sexier and bigger names out there in the Calder race this year. But uh, shout out to Cody Glass. I love. I like that, and I like that because, and to your point, I mean, Alex Tuck gets hurt, and this really, to me, reveals that George McPhee, even though you know they very quickly went from a team with the oodles of cap space and lots of flexibility to a team that it, it, you know they're they're a cap team now so they, they don't have that flexibility but man that team is built for the future and you're right they didn't have to rush Cody Glass into it and now I think we're seeing the benefits of that and I'm, I'm with you I, I think he's going to be a really interesting figure there and and in spite of the fact they lost to to, to Boston uh, their first loss of the season I, I and we talked about this last week but I, for me Vegas is they're the they're the team that is I think has the uh, has all the right stuff to to make a deep run to and to to maybe get back in uh, to a Stanley Cup final and who knows maybe bring a Stanley Cup parade to the strip <laughs> you would want to cover that wouldn't you do you think they would let me? I, that would be. That's what I'm hoping for. I feel like I feel like they had a cup parade there. I mean, listen, we all know the players actually live in Summerlin, which is a quiet, beautiful neighborhood where the practice facility is. But I do feel if they have a Stanley Cup parade there one day, part of it should literally go through one of the casinos, right? I mean, I mean, you got people playing blackjack and craps, being sort of shocked as literally a Stanley Cup parade is going through the casino. Wouldn't that be unbelievable? Wouldn't that be one of the great moments of that parade? I'm in. I'm already, I'm sending a note now as we're talking about, uh, would RSVP Burnside to cover Stanley Cup parade in Vegas? So I just, I want to get ahead of the game. Man, they do look good. By the way, speaking of teams that uh, needed wins, Dallas Stars with the win in Washington uh, on Tuesday night. Wow, I was watching that game. That was gigantic, and they, you know, they gave up the lead late uh, with the Caps pulling the uh, 
pulling the goalie, but then they win in overtime. Beautiful setup from uh, Radulov to Tyler Sagan. And boy, I mean, the Stars uh, a favorite pick by a lot of people, right, this year to uh, uh, to make some hay. And uh, they were off to an 0-3 start. So that was a big one, I think. Well, and I... Yeah, of the teams that were, you know, that were there might be some red flags or questions. Uh, I must admit, even though they they were zero and three to start, and I know a certain amount of angst, you know, around that team. To me, they, I, if I'm not mistaken, they were all one goal games, um, and they are a team. I, I really what I was one of those guys. Uh, that's I think that's going to be okay. They're still going to get it together. Now I will say, you know, still some concerns there, right? I mean, they're four games in. Jamie Ben has one assist. Um, but they really have some player uh, rope hints. I know a lot of people were tabbing him as, you know, my using my air quotes here, the breakout player of, of this year, a guy who could suddenly vault himself into, you know, I don't know, 25, 30 goals and 60 plus points or whatever the number is. And he had a terrific playoff and a really strong end of the season last year. He's off to a great start. Um, but no, I, I just think that they're, you know, they, they, they're they're a team that's going to be challenging Nashville uh, at the top of the Central Division. And uh, you're right, it was a huge, huge win. But um, it's funny, I, and not because I would spend a year there, but I just think that's a team that has lots going on for it. And, you know, barring injuries, that they are, they're going to team, they're going to be a team that's going to be reckoned with down the road. Yeah, I, I guess I agree. I, I will say uh, I was talking to a scout the other day who said the one thing he was worried about is that they're an old team. And the blue line's not old. They've got dynamic young talent there. But in general, that's an old team up front. And, and he kind of wondered about the rigors of the season and 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 how that roster would be impacted by it. Um, by the way, if Jamie Benn doesn't start scoring, I guess I guess we'll have to have a, a rant from Jim Lights soon, right? Is that Are we going to have an annual rant now from Jim Lights? Or is that just well, a one-off? I, I, no, I'm hoping for one every year. In fact, I would prefer <laughs> if, a, uh, if a team president from any team provided such a rant at least once a year because man nothing does uh, it helps the clicks and the subscriptions uh, when something like that happens so if if it's not Jim Lance I'm asking someone else to step forward to you know take that mantle by the way I've seen you play defense on our old uh, Monday night outdoor hockey uh, league years years ago I mean you're really a forward but I've, I've seen you play defense in a pinch um have the Winnipeg Jets phoned you or I'm just curious. Well, it, they they could have called me, and uh, and I would be in line to play on that team. Although you talk about a team that came up with an absolutely yeah. huge win, uh, the Winnipeg Jets, a uh, big win over the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. So, and th- those are two teams that are, uh, I, I mean, both teams. Uh, really, really up against it injury-wise. And, and of course, uh, as you know, the the story of the Winnipeg Jets decimated blue line. Uh, Dustin Bufflin's still unsure whether we're going to see him back or what his future is going to be. But, uh, yeah, really tough times for, for Kevin Chevel Day off the GM there and, and for Paul Maurice in, in terms of icing that lineup. And, and the, the Penguins are sort of the inverse, right? I mean, they are... I mean, they have defensive issues, and there's lots of discussion about what to do. And you know, is Jack Johnson going to stay, or is he going to go? But uh, I mean, they are just crippled up front. Evgeny mm-hmm. Malkin gone long term. 
Uh, Brian Rust was already out. Nick Bukestad uh, is is out for a period of time, and then uh, Patrick Hornquist left the game, the loss against Winnipeg, uh, in which they didn't look good to begin with. But he left that game and has continues his issues with durability. I mean, that's uh, you know when his, when he's healthy, he's such a critical part of that team. But it's been a long time since he's really been a hundred percent. And um, I, I wonder what you think of. The challenges for both those GMs are pretty significant now, given the cap situation. But both those teams, as they as they're constituted now, man, it's they could fall behind pretty quickly and, and dig themselves a pretty good early hole here, given the injury situations. Well, I tell you what, I would stick Jim Rutherford and Kevin Chevrolet off in a phone booth and wouldn't <laughs> let them out until they made a trade with each other, because Penguins have. Uh, you know, depth on the blue line, need help up front. Of course, it's the uh, complete opposite in Winnipeg. So maybe there's a match there. Um, you mentioned Jack Johnson. The other name that I know some teams have phoned on is Eric and Branson. So that would be another trade possibility perhaps. But we'll see if the Penguins just decide to hang in or whether Jim Rutherford, who's never shy to make an in-season trade, decides to try and uh, you know, make that move. Um, I will say this for the Jets. I mean, Tucker Pullman, I thought, had a terrific game in that game uh, on the back end for the Jets. Sammy Niku. Uh, I want Sammy Niku to have a great year and to continue to grow his hair. Uh, that's that's one of my wishes for the season. Uh, that is amazing hair. Uh, you, you know what we need, too? He needs to wear an old Jofa helmet, like Yeri Curry style. A, that kind of Jofa helmet on that hairdo and just, uh, I don't know, maybe even smoke a cigarette on the bench between shifts. I, I just think that guy is one of my favorite young players in the league right now, Sammy Niku. All right, my friend. I think that's enough. And uh, So, be, you know, before we go, can you, can you, I really think Zeke Elliott has been very disappointing for you on your fantasy team this year. And I, as a Cowboys fan, I feel bad that that has happened to the point where I am willing to take him off your hands and trade you very good value in return. So I think when we get off air here, I, I think it's time. I think you need to cut ties with Ezekiel Elliott in your fantasy team. All right. Well, that's the perfect uh, time to put a close to this podcast. That's for sure. Right on, right on. Thanks, everybody, for dropping by Two Man Advantage, the podcast this week. If you wanted to hear a little bit more, an extended version of our podcast, where this week Pierre Lebrun and I continue to talk about players who might need to ante up, Sergei Bobrovsky in Florida might be one of them, and potential coaching hot seats, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic and you would get all of that with your Two Man Advantage podcast. (laughs) 